Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. respect for the word of God, would you stand to your feet? Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <clears throat> Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Can someone say amen to the reading of God's word? pray with me this morning father we come before you thanking you for the word of god that is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword the word that is a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces the word that is a fire that burns the dross the impurities out of our life and lord today i pray that you would speak to us in a special way a unique way i feel like lord this is one of those messages that may not be for everyone in the room, but there are a handful of folks that need to hear this word today. Lord, I pray for those watching online, God, that you would speak into their hearts. And Lord, I pray that, that we would all be led of the Spirit. God, help us to be led of the Spirit. May your word go forth and accomplish that which it needs to accomplish. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Repeat this, would you? Salvation is of God. Now repeat this. All salvation is of God. The sports world was gripped a few days back when on live television in an NFL game, a player collapsed, went into cardiac arrest, and it is my understanding that CPR was administered twice to save his life. The nation was stunned. And for the last several days, I am sure thousands upon thousands of prayers have been lifted up publicly and privately for Damar Hamlin's recovery. 
this past week, he was discharged to go home from a Buffalo hospital. He truly is a miracle. And I am grateful for his recovery. I am also grateful that the sports world suddenly realized that it is okay for players and coaches to pray on the field. We all, including myself, were praying and rooting for the sparing of his health and the saving of his life. But to date, 13 days later, I have yet to hear anyone speak to the saving of his soul. I don't know if he's a believer or if he's an unbeliever, but everyone was rooting. Everyone was cheering. Everyone was praying for his body to be restored. And I thought about that this week, and I thought, you know, we often want God to save our loved one's situations without a unique focus on saving their souls. Or conversely, we trust Jesus for the salvation of our souls, but we fail to look to Jesus for the salvation of our situations and circumstances. Can I tell you that Jesus is a redeemer of the soul? Can I tell you that he's a redeemer of territories and situations and places and circumstances? All salvation comes from God. That's what I'm going to preach on today. Salvation in its literal New Testament translation is the word in the Greek called soteria, which means to be saved or delivered in a moral or a spiritual sense. And that is what we as a church attach the ultimate challenge to every soul that comes through those doors is you must be born again. You must be saved. Taking communion doesn't save you. It is a result of being saved. Being baptized doesn't save you. It is an obedience after salvation. Becoming a church member is after salvation. Church attendance can be nothing better than a social club that could join the ranks of all the other clubs in the community. If the church becomes a social club and we lose sight of what God has called us to do, then we would be uh, very upsetting to the Lord himself because he didn't call us to be a social club. He called us to be a soul-saving station where people can find liberty and freedom in the name of Jesus. All of these things are great, but they must always be post-salvation. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 that for a person to be saved, they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us that if you shall confess with your mouth 
the Lord Jesus, and you shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You'd be surprised how many people are sitting in churches dotted across our land today, and they've been doing it for years. We would be amazed and startled by how many have never made a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you, he's still saving in 2023. He's still setting free. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. That's what he came for. He didn't come primarily to heal. He didn't come primarily to preach. He didn't come primarily to raise the physical dead back to life. The scripture tells us why he came to this earth. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It is the spiritual and moral imperative of every soul in this place today that you must be saved. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, however, every time you find the word salvation, uh, where, it say, where it means soteria, in, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, you find the main Hebrew form of the word, the root word is yasha, which means to be open, to be free, to be rescued. This is where we get the Hebrew title for God in the Old Testament, Yeshua, which in the Old Testament means Savior, the one who gets us deliverance, the one who gives us victory. I want to say this again, all salvation is of God. And I'm telling you, he wants to be the complete Savior of your life. He doesn't just want to be the deliverer of your soul. He doesn't just want to be a fire escape policy that ensures that after this life you are morally and spiritually right with him. And I do state that that is the most important. But I'm telling you, while you live here in this world, God wants you to know and embrace and, and practice with the reality that all salvation is from the Lord. I'm telling you, in, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, in the New Testament, he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that. But in the Old Testament, he also said in the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 32, he said these words, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I'm telling you today, not only is he the savior of my soul, but he's the savior of every situation and circumstance that I find myself in. Praise the Lord. You see, in his plan, he brings us to places in our life where only he he can give you the answer, and only He can provide the way out. Listen to me, church. When He brings you to these places, He doesn't need you to be involved. He doesn't want you to be involved. He doesn't need your counsel. He doesn't need your input. He doesn't need your advice. He wants you as His child to watch as His mighty arm gets the victory on your behalf. When we look at the Scripture, Scripture in front of us today, there's a tremendous dilemma. Most of us know the story, some may not, but the people of God have, have been in bondage for decades in Egypt. The Jewish people, God's chosen people, and the time came for the Lord to deliver them. And so after they after they 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 went through ten plagues that they saw happen to the Egyptian people, God delivered them and set them free. And they left out of Egypt, and you think that's a mighty uh, 
mighty miracle. It's a tremendous victory. But oh, the journey was just beginning. There was going to be challenges and hardships that they were going to face. And, and so they got out and they had left Egypt. They had every child. They had every calf. They had every bit of their livestock. They had, they had possessions. Uh, but they, they left out as, as millions of people from Egyptian bondage. And as they went out and they were on their way to the promised land, verse 10 of Exodus 14 tells us that the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they saw the Egyptians marching after them. Now you got to get this today. This is important. It's important for you to understand that the Jews are unarmed. They have no weapons at their disposal. There is no arsenal that they can draw from to defend themselves. Not only are they unarmed, but they are undisciplined. There's been no military uh, training. You'll see in a later place that there was 600,000 men, 600,000 in that nation of Jews, not counting women and children. And that's why we know there was two to three million in the whole nation as they come out of bondage. But these Jews are unarmed, they're undisciplined, and, and the truth of the matter is they're unprepared for, for their lives have been decades of brutal slavery. They are emotionally depleted. They have no confidence in themselves, maybe not a whole lot in each other, and we know they question their confidence in Moses, their leader. They're unarmed, they're undisciplined, they're unprepared, and now they've left Egypt, and they're out there in the wilderness, and all of a sudden they begin to hear. They begin to feel the ground shaking, and they begin to hear the armies of Egyptian footmen. They began to hear the clanging of Egyptian chariots and the galloping of stallions in hot pursuit of this former slave nation who by the, by the millions are traveling mostly on foot. Their position is, is synonymous with total compromise. What are they going to do? What are two and a half, three million people going to do? Little children are scared and wives are concerned and men feel like there's nothing they can do to fix the situation that they're in. They're looking and, and they see a, a, a sea in front of them. They see its white-tipped waves that is splashing against the shore, knowing that it's several feet deep and there's no way that they, they could uh, get across it in time. They look to the right and they look to the left and they see jagged rocks and mountain ranges that would not afford them enough time to turn in that direction to get away from this pursuing army. The Jews are well aware of how weak they are. The Jews are also well aware of how, how the rage of their pursuing enemy and anxiety and fear as it would with every one of us let's be honest begins to grip their hearts and at first they began to cry out to God and then they began to complain to Moses now get that they cried out to God but then they complained to Moses almost makes you wonder what kind of prayer they had unto the Lord yeah let me just stop here and, and tell you something we all need a prayer life but further, we need the right kind of prayer life. This has probably never happened to any of y'all, I'm sure, as spiritual and righteous as you are. But be careful that your prayer life never turns into a complaint session. There have been times, it hadn't been many, but it has been times, I have gone into the prayer closet, 
And I left out of the prayer closet more discouraged than when I went into the prayer closet. How does that happen? Because I went in complaining more than I did praying. I, I went in more in doubt and belly, belly aching to the Lord than I did in faith trusting in Him to bring me out of my circumstance. That's never happened to none of y'all. Don't let it happen to you again or, or in the future. Let's not forget, these folks have watched God perform ten plagues on a nation that had mistreated them and has brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And yet the Bible says they are afraid. Now I'm going to give you something maybe you've never considered. Because after you've seen ten plagues, you've seen the hand of God against your enemy, why would you be afraid if you're in this circumstance? I pondered on that this week and I wondered about it. What would have wreaked so much doubt and fear and unbelief among God's chosen people in Exodus 14? Then I backtracked to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, it tells us how many men there were. It was 600,000 men. I mentioned that already. But watch this. In verse 38, you read these words. A mixed multitude went up also with them. A mixed multitude went also with them. Now watch this. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, later, you would read these words again. The mixed multitude would wreak havoc among the nation with a spirit of lust. Help me preach, Holy Ghost. It states in Numbers chapter 11, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. So I said, well, let me go look that up. So I went through several translations, and one kind of leaped off the pages at me, and it was the, the translation in the message. I looked at that in Numbers chapter 11, and I looked at it in Exodus chapter 12, and in the message translation, it calls the mixed multitude the riffraff among them. Mm. That symbolizes unbelievers amongst believers. And let me just tell you something, friend, in 2023. If you, as God's child, listen to the unconverted and the worldly, and you heed counsel that lacks godly influence in any situation you come into, you may find yourself rushing ahead or looking back. You'll lag behind. You'll live in fear. Be careful that you don't tune your hearing to the riffraff that's out in the world. That's good preaching right there. Too long we've relied upon secularism. Too long we've relied on professionals out of secularism. God help us to get back to the basics that is found in the Word of God. Every answer to every situation is found in this blessed book from Genesis to Revelation. Oh God help us to get with godly brothers and sisters. Help us to get with those that really care about our soul and want to see us succeed. Let us get a hold of the hand of someone we have confidence in and not someone in the world that only has their agenda in mind for you. Woo. So what do we do, Pastor? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. What do we do, Pastor, with this situation we're up against? Well, Moses 
the leader of God's people, he gave us the answer. Moses has an understanding. Never was the fortitude of a man so severely tried and tested as it is in this crisis. Inevitable dangers are facing him. Murmuring and vengeance of a desperate multitude is against him. So where did he get his courage from? Exodus 14 and 1. You can read it for yourself. And the Lord spoke unto Moses. Simple as that. Moses knew something the people of Israel did not know because the Lord spoke to him. I don't know. I, got, I feel like I need to say it again. Someone in the room needs to stop listening to the riffraff and start listening for the Redeemer. Moses saw sooner. Moses saw bigger. Moses saw further because the Lord had spoken to Moses and Moses had heard him. So God ordained them to be right where they were. They not veered off course. You don't like that, do you? God put them in between two mountains and a red sea in front of them. God put them there. God led them there. God placed them there. Their place of desperation was a place of divine appointment. Somehow Moses knew by the word of the Lord that God was going to take care of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army once and for all. It helps. It helps much to know when you're facing a tough situation that you're there by the plan of God. And just purely out of His love for you, He will take care of everything. Somebody, my God, somebody needs to hear that. There are times that God just out of His love intervenes. We, we lack faith sometimes. And some have gotten so theologically wacky, they consider only our faith and do not consider His love. I'm a dad. My son is 23 years old now. But let me take it a bit back to his childhood days. When my son was six, if he was in the backyard and suddenly he faced a rabid dog or a bear, you think that I'm going to wait until he cries out by faith while I stand there watching the whole thing unfold? Okay now, son, where's your faith? You just stand there frozen. 
Son, if you'll just cry out, I'll come to your rescue. No. Out of my pure love for him, I'll leave the kitchen window and I'll get in between him and that rabid beast that's coming against him. And I've come by to tell someone today, this situation's got you frozen in fear and it's got your faith depleted and you don't know how you're going to make another turn. You can't even say the name of Jesus right now because you're so paralyzed with the circumstance you're facing. I've come by to tell you you're not alone. There is a Father in heaven who has sent his Son, who has sent his Spirit. And I'm telling you right now you may not have enough faith to even say Jesus help me but he will still step into your situation just because he loves you unconditionally my God Second Corinthians 4, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. God, may it be so. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We may feel cast down, but praise God, we're not destroyed. Some things you cannot fix. I'm not telling you don't nobody go out of here saying I'm pastor advocate to quit praying. But we need to be reminded. Despair whispers to us. Won't you just lie down and die and give it all up? Cowardice whispers, why don't you just retreat, go back to the world and its way of action. You cannot play this Christian's part. It's too difficult. Get this one. Impatience whispers, do something. To wait is sheer idleness. My Lord. Psalms 27 and 14, wait upon the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. And if there's a constraint in my spirit, it's that somebody's getting ready to make a transaction or you're going to intervene in something. And the Lord has sent your preacher to this pulpit to remind you that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And by the word of the Lord, I declare to you today, you need to dig in your heels. You don't need to move right now. You don't need to intervene right now. You don't need to transact right now. You don't need to walk away from that marriage right now. What you need to do is wait upon God. And if your faith gets depleted, remember he still loves you and he is still able to step into the middle of your circumstance and turn it upside down for your good and for his glory. I wish somebody would give him praise. God's whispering it to someone right now. God's shouting it through your loud and rowdy pastor. 
stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. If he saved your soul, he can save your circumstance. Fuck off. Sometimes he wants your assistance. Sometimes he ordains for you to be part of the miracle. But there's a lot of times he says, you just let me take care of it. You get involved in this thing. You're liable to want to take some of my glory when the answer comes. You know, having done all to stand, stand. Stand. Not walk. Stand. Not talk. Stand. Just have your way. I love the miracles of the Bible. And in this account, there are four miracles. I mean, the, the first miracle, God had told them they would be guided by a pillar of cloud by day that would be in front of them to tell them where they're going to go. But with the Egyptian army pursuing them, what does God do? God takes the cloud in front of them whoop, and puts it behind them. So the enemy can't see them. <laughs> what God used to guide his people, God used to blind his people's enemies. What God uses to illuminate me, he uses as darkness to my enemy. To enshroud and protect me. Oh, the enemy may know scripture, but he uses it out of context. <laughs> because the cloud of the Spirit that guides me is the same cloud that leaves him in darkness. I wish somebody would say amen. Next time you're reading your Bible and a verse jumps off the pages into your spirit, let me tell you what that is. That's the cloud of his spirit because the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. If you just had the Bible but no spirit, it wouldn't do anything for you. That's a fact. But when it leaps off into your spirit, you say, oh, praise God, I've never seen that before. You can read the Bible 900 times, and you read it the 901st time, and there'll be a new revelation you've never seen before. But here's the beauty of it. When it leaps in your spirit, it leaves the devil in darkness. <laughs> well, I'm having fun here now. 
I got a situation that I'm facing. You got a situation that you're facing. You're at a, you're at a fork in the road. You don't know whether to go left. You don't know whether to go right. And you decide you're going to be obedient to the word of God. And you're just going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And you're going to watch as he works. And then God gives you an answer from the word. From his spirit. From a godly brother or sister. From your pastor. From someone that's not riffraff. Your best friend can be a heathen. But don't let your best friend spot you with the world. Oh, somebody's going to go out of here. They're going to call their best friend who's not a believer and say, the preacher called you riffraff today. Bring them on in. We'll deal with it at the altar. The world does not have good things in mind for you. The second miracle, though, I find this to be equally fascinating, is that God sends an east wind and makes the water stand up on one side or the other, uh, several feet in the air. I don't know how deep. The Red Sea was, but, you know, let's just assume it was 20 feet, 20 feet on the left, 20 feet on the right. I mean, friend, friend that, that took, like, hurricane force times five. Typhoon force multiplied over and over again to make those, make those body, that body of water stand up on the left and on the right. And, and, you know, and, and the Scripture says they walked across on dry ground. Dry ground. Now, look at this. I like this. I like this. They walk across on dry ground. Red Sea left. Red Sea right. I got that backwards. Red Sea left. Red Sea right. Split. They're walking across not on mud, but on dry ground. They're not sinking. Here's what I find to be cool. The wind is holding the Red Sea apart. They're walking across on dry ground, but with hurricane, had to be typhoon kind of wind, holding that body of water up. Nobody fell down. Nobody. Nobody fell down. They walked across on dry ground. And then the third miracle that happens here is God comes down. With his supernatural craftsman wrench. How do you know it was a craftsman? Well, all good things come from God. (laughs) And took the wheels off of the Egyptian chariots after the last Jew had made it to the other side. It's amazing to me. Listen to this. And in Exodus 14, 25, listen to what they said. Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them. The fourth miracle there was that God just said enough. 
the one that spoke the oceans into existence and separated the sky from the oceans and the oceans from the earth, the one that says the oceans can't go any further than the boundary I put. Every time you go to the beach, you see God's boundary of the ocean. I don't know what he said. Maybe it thundered across the heavens and no one on earth heard it. Maybe he just said, release! And after every Egyptian had gotten into the riverbed and every Jew had gotten to the other side, the wall of the Red Sea left and right fell down and drowned every one of them. Some of y'all heard this before. This is one of my favorite little little stories. I love to tell it, and I'm getting old, so it's okay to be repetitive. But it's about the little boy whose unbelieving mother put him on the church bus and sent him to Sunday school. She stayed home just for some peace and quiet. The bus dropped him off after church was over, and he came in very excited. And he said, Mommy, I learned today how the Jews walked on dry ground after God opened the Red Sea. She said, Oh, son, you don't believe all that, do you? After all, that water was only three inches deep. The little boy's eyes got real big, and he said, Mom, that's awesome that God drowned all those Egyptians in only three inches of water. This is the bottom line. Verse 30 is the bottom line. The Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Close your eyes with me for a moment if you would. In my spirit I feel there are people in this room that need the soteria, the Greek word of salvation which means to be delivered spiritually and morally from your sins at the very outset of this message i gave you what the scripture said is the prescription for your salvation for your eternal life it is very simple it is confessing the lord jesus christ asking him to forgive you of your sins believing that god raised him from the dead and you can be saved soteria you can be you can be saved your name this morning Somebody has a pen dipped in his red blood up in heaven, and they've got the book opened, and all they're waiting for is your obedience. And as soon as you come forward and say, Jesus, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner, your name will be written down in the Lamb's book of life and glory. That can happen today. It's so simple that a child can ask Jesus into their heart. If I've described anyone, this altar is open for you. And I want you to come if that's, if that's you and you feel the Spirit of God tugging at you. But I want to talk to some believers in this room, and I think the Spirit of God has already been dealing very pointedly. Hmm. You're about to say something. You're about to make a transaction. You're about to fix a situation. You're about to intervene. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you cannot fix this. 
Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I, I don't, my Lord, I don't know who it is. Somebody needs to leave from where they are. You're a child of God. You've, you've, your name is written down in heaven. He has saved you from your sins, but you are so restless. And you are moving ahead of God. The temptation is to fix something that you know this morning can only be fixed in the spirit realm. And you are among family today. I'm telling you, you feel a prompting to pray. Your prompting to pray and to come forward may very well be a prompting to wait. Because all salvation is of God. All salvation is of God. Holy Spirit, have your way. All salvation is of God.